You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. We are back with Extraordinary Occurrences with our producer extraordinaire, Demarcus Adisa. And it happens to be, I guess, another milestone episode, episode 150. What's up? How you doing? I'm doing all right, y'all. Um, I'm looking at this glass of wine <laughs> and uh, I'm toasting to, uh, you know, three years. Three years. We're coming up on our three year anniversary, uh, what, in like two weeks? Little less than two weeks, yeah. Less than two weeks, which is which is crazy. I can't believe we've been doing this show um, that long. Number one, and I can't believe like we now have this little small community and village of folks who really rock rock with us and you know really function as our little cult following. So I'm excited about that. It's been (laughs) a trying three years. Lots of personal changes, professional changes, all while trying to keep the show up. Um, But it really is. A bright spot in my life, I must say. It is. Um, but with anything, you know, it's, it has its own struggles and its own fights. And if it was easy, everyone would do it. I won't even say everyone would do it. I'm going to say everyone would stick with it. Because I feel like everyone and their cousin is starting a podcast. And they do like three episodes and they just disappear and come back like a year later with episode True. four. I, I, it, and I'm pretty sure we've said it before, but even if you're doing... A moderate amount of work on a podcast is still a lot of work on top of whatever else you're doing. That's why a lot of people start, but it's a lot to keep it up. So salute to everyone out there who's creating on a consistent basis because it's a lot. Creating and expending time and money, because if you don't have sponsorship, which most people don't, unless your show is actually produced by a network or a streaming service because you already have the, the the following, it gets costly. It starts to you know add up over time. So it definitely is an investment in your brand and an investment in whatever your your passion is. So salutes. That's for sure. But I must say, like, (laughs) you're phantom toast. I must say, you know, I have questioned, particularly in like recent weeks, like, man, should we have started this from jump, like in seasons, as opposed to being a a year round show? I have no regrets about being a year round show, but I have asked the question. I've thought about it before, but I think we made the right decision being a year round show. Um. Seasons are cool, um, but the thing about seasons, when you're not on a major platform, is people forget. Right. And then life happens, and then you'll, okay, I'm going to, we're going to be back in May, and next thing you know, we're going to be back in August. Next thing you know, we're going to be back in October. A whole year could go by, and you can lose momentum. And I, I think I've said this before, but I, I think people's memory in a social media area is very short. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not to say, not to deter anyone, not to say that you can't cut through, because people who, who cut through, but... I think people have oh so much bandwidth and it's easy to forget about some short memories and and short attention spans, right. which is why I'm so fascinated that people listen to our show really to the end. Like we don't you know, we don't really have a high bounce rate like people hang in there and listen to the um, entire episode, which, you know, I've I've noticed my own attention span sort of wane <laughs> in the last few years. So I, I'm I'm impressed that people really listen to these episodes through to the end because we bring in that real <laughs> That authenticity. <laughs> so what's been up? What have you been up to? I'm asking this question like I don't really know. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, what's, what's been up? Um, doing a lot of work editing and creating videos uh, for clients. 
um, and just trying to map out 2021, how I can um, build a business and build a brand um, and do it the right way and effectively um, and and be strategic. You know, and I've been going to my board of advisors, <coughs> Delisha, and, uh, you know, been plotting with them on how to make moves um, in a reasonable I'm in a timely fashion. Listen, if nothing else, I'm a visionary and I'm a project manager. So you got an idea, I'm willing to unpack it and explore it and provide a little tough love every once in a while as well. Right. What's up with you? What's up with you? You know, I I am generally so this is since I've been a transactional attorney, you know, working with large corporations. um, December is the busiest time of year for me. So when most people are like turning up all festive, COVID notwithstanding, and engaging in holiday uh, activities and all the cheer, I'm generally like grinding, trying to close deals. So um, I'm used to this. I think before 2020, I was built for it. This year, I came into Q4 already just so exhausted um, that I am literally crawling to the finish line. And then there are also some like, you know, extenuating circumstances, not just COVID, but a bunch of stuff going on, which we can, you know, get into later. Um, So yeah, I'm just like trying to hang in there. I'm just trying to make it to the the top of 2021 in one piece. Um, But admittedly, I have run out of steam in a way, um, a little bit prematurely (laughs) for 2020. Man, I think this this year has been real for everyone. And I think everyone deserves a pat on the back who has just treaded water to get to this point um, or who, who's been able to maintain and keep their sanity, have the upkeep of what's going on. Because for some reason, I'm, for some people, I mean, they haven't really seen any changes, but for other people, um, different aspects of this year, especially with COVID, just the amount of people who passed away um, related to that, it's just been wild. And I don't really know too many people who haven't been affected by it. So the fact that you're still here um, and still keeping up as best as you can, I think is something that's commendable. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I'm kind of going out of order, but we were talking about this before we pressed record. I was having this conversation with somebody I consider like a little sister, mentee, friend, what have you. And, you know, she said to me that she was feeling a bit down because she it seems that she's gotten complacent and where she is in her career. And, you know, my response to her was complacent or complacency is not a word that should be in anybody's vocabulary in 2020. It just shouldn't. Right. I mean, we've all even if if trauma or crises has not touched you personally, we all have had a front row seat to a lot of doom and gloom and a lot of bad news, Um, even if it's just on the television, even though I highly doubt, like you said, that this hasn't touched someone personally, even if it's just by one degree of separation. So if if you're in a situation I've been telling myself this too, like where you're just treading water and like just trying to get through, that is perfectly acceptable. I said, I told somebody the other day, I feel like I'm on a gap year. Like, you know, it, even though I've gone through a lot of change and produced this year, absolutely. Like I've crossed things off the list, but I've, I have not moved at the the speed that I normally move in the same way, right? Like I, I have a lot of demands on me. Yes. A lot of things to do on a daily basis, but I'm not putting pressure on myself to knock goals out of the part that I may have set in January because literally from February, everything tilted even before COVID hit, like for us personally, just things went left um, before then. So, you know, I've just been encouraging the people in my circle to if you're holding, like if you're holding yourself together relatively well, may not even be at a hundred percent. If you're sustaining in any way, there's no room for guilt and there's no need for guilt about 
not progressing or moving forward or getting the next job or the next opportunity. At this point, we all just trying to make it. And that's okay. Yeah, these are very weird circumstances that were under. And depending on where you live, there's only oh so much you can do. Right, exactly. And, you know, I had to acknowledge for myself that I'm like very much in the grieving process. And, you know, which feels interesting because being within in COVID and, and kind of just being stuck at home. So, and if you wonder what I'm talking about, listen to the last uh, extraordinary occurrences, but not being able to have that connection with my community that this loss has affected um, and kind of just, we're all processing alone. I think at first I was like, not really realizing that this was grief in a, a very real way, because we think about grief sometimes in really finite terms and it can manifest in a lot of different ways, a lack of energy, um, general malaise, sadness, brain fog. It's not just, um, you know, being in a, a puddle of tears, even though I've had that as well. So I, I have been trying to extend grace to myself and I've been encouraging other people to extend that same grace to themselves as well. Right. It um, It's a lot. And I think knowing you um, and knowing a few other people, um, who have experienced like deaths that were COVID related, some weren't during this time. It, it's been very interesting um, because because of everything that's going on, people can't even grieve properly. It's a very weird situation. I had a you know close friend had a friend that passed away. Um, and this person usually when these things go on, they work. You know, they work through the issues. Their person that's organizing the funeral, organizing music, getting the programs together, making sure the family is fine. They that's how they work through death. But it's COVID. You can't have a funeral. So there wasn't really that much work to do. And the first time in a long time, they really had to just sit with themselves and deal with the loss of someone. So this time is just it's just a very interesting time. And I don't think anybody has any real um guide to how to navigate. We're all just kind of, you know, building a plane as we fly. Exactly. Like I, I had been to a streamed service because we, you know, we all black folks call it home going, streamed home going um, before the loss of my friend. And those, it was like, it was real to me, but not really. Like I felt, I still felt like I was a a step or two away from it. Right. I was a bit removed. And um, with this one, you and I, thanks, you know, for all of your help and thanks for lending your talents, were involved, right? And trying to help prepare for like a digital version of this and um, helping get get it ready. And I felt the gravity of that while we were doing it. It definitely wasn't a full distraction, but I thought because I was so close to it in the, you know, the weeks leading up and the days, especially in the days leading up that I had processed it. And it wasn't until, you know, I had to sit on my couch in my living room and beam the service that was happening in another country because it couldn't even happen here um, for a 20 year friend that it all kind of came down on me. Right. Like this is not only is this happening, but it's happening um, in a year where we're all lacking human connection and grief is hard enough without without um, with the human connection. And it so it just got real for me. And it, it still feels right. very, very raw. Right. And many things about this year feel like, oh my God, like, is it, when is it going to stop? Right. Because usually the beautiful thing about homegoing services, we're not going to say funeral, we're going to say homegoing services, because I can't speak to any, any other culture or community does. I can only speak about my own, but the beauty of it normally is you may cry your eyes out and wail at a homegoing service, but the beauty of it and that leading up to and afterwards is 
you just get to spend time with a whole bunch of people you normally don't see and you get to reminisce you get to laugh and after the service it's a repast you eat you know what i mean you might stand outside the church in the parking lot drink a little wine in the cup like behind your cousin's car or one of your friend's car and it's like that's like the pick me up afterwards but with everything that's going on there, there there's no bere- there's no repast there's nothing once it's over with you back by yourself in your house staring at the four walls it's just very different yeah like we we had a group text going and during and everybody was checking on everybody And I just remember when it was over, I just went and got in my bed and stayed there. I was like, I could, it was just like I, it had taken all my energy to sit through that in solitude, right? Like physical solitude. We had a virtual uh, congregation. Um, So since then, I think that, I don't know what number, funeral number that was for me for this year in person or virtual, but um, it was the one I think that, that tipped the scales for me. Right. And being like, this is literally one of the hardest years of our lives for different reasons for different people like some it's loss others it's financial stress some it's health issues that they're facing or you know family members are facing some it's just anxiety you know people who are who need that social interaction so the depression and you know all this other stuff and you hear these stories of people like taking their own lives right now um, so I say all that to say, you know, we're a show that's all about the uplift, but I bring all those things up because I've had more than one person say to me, I need to get my life together. Like every day's a blur. They all run together. I'm not doing anything I set out to do. And I'm, I'm just like, man, if you need permission, we're giving it to you. It's okay to just survive every day at this point, because literally in the time and space that we're living in, survival is a blessing. Right. It is, you know, and I'm finding, um, Gratitude in that, for sure. For sure. Especially, especially since a, a, another piece, I don't think that that we, we talked about, especially since most people's social circles are breaking up. Mm-hmm. I've had so many friends move during COVID. I'm like, where, where did, I'm looking around like, where did everybody go? And then when you really think about it, it's like, well, I can't speak for anybody else, but most of these people, I didn't really see them this year. Right. And that and I think that's the byproduct that in in some ways is really good in that, you know, we've now moved to a culture like a remote work culture. So it'll never be what it was. Some companies that are antiquated, you know, the Luddites out there will want people to return to the office. But most progressive organizations realize that, wow, not only are people productive at home, in a lot of instances, they're actually more productive than they are in the office because people feel the pressure to deliver. Number one. Number two, the work is always right there. It's not like, you know, separation of office and home and the way that it normally would. And plus, let's be real, they're saving money, right? right. We're paying for our own internet at home. You know, there's some perks out there, but, you know, it's 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 cost effective. So it has opened up uh, opportunity for people to really relocate and potentially keep their current job and and work from wherever, but be employed by a company with a New York office or just seeing how things have changed. I think it made people think differently about moving somewhere else. Right. Like the the appeal in a lot of ways uh, has left a lot of metropolitan areas. There's nothing appealing about being in a one bedroom apartment, 10 floors up during COVID. There's nothing appealing about that at all. And, you know, everybody has their opinions, but I think the vacancies in New York prove that most people are, are over it. The draw of living in a major metropolitan area is the life, the social life and the after hours life and the connections and the bonds you can make. If you don't have those things, it's basically like you're living in a laboratory, like a like you're a lab rat in a box. Man, listen, I doorkeeper. I had not 
been in New York out of my car since April, right? I like drove in in Brooklyn and drove right back without getting out um, a few months ago. But I went, I drove into Manhattan to Soho for a doctor's appointment. And I parked like in a lot, maybe like a five to seven minute walk from my doctor's office. And the number of like the energy was different in the city. There were people on the street, of course, because people going to move, right? They're going to move in shape. People were shopping and stuff. But the energy was different. It was a, a, a low population of people on the street. And the amount of store, the amount of stores that were vacant, like retail spaces that have just closed that were, you know, an area in an area that was booming just a year ago. Like I was like, you know, this is different. And New York is a resilient place. Uh, we're a resilient country. So at some point things will rebound to some extent, but it just hit me like how different this city is and how different it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And you have to wonder how the real estate market will change permanently. Right. Yeah, I haven't, I, don't, I can't even tell you the last time I've been to the city proper. I've been to the outer boroughs. The outer boroughs are a little bit different. The Bronx, people doing what they want to, want to in the Bronx and in Harlem. They are outside like it's, like it's 95. I think they were doing nails in the Bronx when nail salons were closed. <laughs> but I digress. Kids was playing in uh, fire hydrants over the summer like nothing happened. Um, but the city, for those who are not familiar uh, with New York like that is when people say the city, they mean Manhattan proper. Um, all the stuff that you see on TV, not Brooklyn, not the outer boroughs, but the city, I would imagine is just completely weird. Right. Um, it, it, it felt weird. Like it didn't feel like the city that I knew. Um, and at one point I worked in Soho, it just, the energy was just completely, completely different. Um, and I, I, I got to tell you, like, if if this would have happened before I went to contract into contract on this house, I don't know that I would have bought a house here. Like, If the flexibility for me as a New York licensed attorney would have opened up in the way that it has now to like live somewhere else and work here, I might have considered bouncing as well. You've been in Philly. Yep. You know it. Um, real estate pricing, even though it's, it's following the way of Brooklyn. So it's not as cheap as it was a couple of years ago, but still better than here um, with tax abatements and stuff. Like I might have done the same thing, but God had different plans for me. So I had a praying grandmother. Yeah. God was like, not so fast. Um and this is where I know that this is where I'm supposed to be for right now. So it's cool. But I definitely had a moment like, man, if this would have just hit a little bit earlier, six weeks earlier, I, I might be in a completely different state right now. I might be on the frontier flight to Atlanta right now. <laughs> I would have been frontier flight right to ground zero. Oh, man. Um, but in spite of the difficulty and the loss and the stress and all of this, we did have a silver lining in the last few weeks. In that we pulled off our Thanksgiving drive. Hey. We did that. So um, if you listen to the show regularly, you know that our back to school drive was such a success, despite being modified by COVID, um, that we main, maintain the same commitment for Thanksgiving. And that was to bless uh, 10 families with resources so they could have a good Thanksgiving season. And we pulled that off. We made it happen, y'all. Even though we had some mix ups with the birds. Oh, Jesus. Um. So... <laughs> Do you want to tell the people what happened? No, nah, you told it. <laughs> so, okay. So we are from, and you know this if you listen often, we are from uh, central New Jersey, down in the burbs near the shore. In the county that we're from, there is a turkey farm, right? I won't name them. 
It's a turkey farm that has been around for like um, forever. I don't remember when they were founded, but it's literally they, like they've been around a long time. I don't eighty yeah. years, a hundred years. I don't know, but anyway, it's an institution. It is an institution. And remember, New Jersey is actually originally a very rural state. It's in the past like 60 years that suburbs popped up. I can give you a whole history lesson as of why we became, you know, metropolitan suburbia post-World War. But y'all don't care about that. So continue. You're about to go all NPR on them. <laughs> Henry Louis Gates out the speech. Um, so anyway, so the 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 retail establishment is still called family name. We won't say it. Turkey Farm. Right. So, but they have a retail location and then they have an actual farm where they raise turkeys. So in the retail location, they cater, they're known for their turkey salad, which everybody loves, and they're known for their turkeys, right? I don't know what they do to these turkeys, how they raise them, whatever. So much so that you have to place the order for the turkeys the Tuesday after Labor Day, right? If you do not place your order that very first day, you are out of luck, better luck next Thanksgiving. So coincidentally, we made the decision to um, basically sow into these families for Thanksgiving just before the holiday weekend. Like we were committed to that. So I was like, oh, bet. Like we caught it. You know, we can get in at this place, order the turkeys from there. It'll be great. Much better quality um, than what you might get from the grocery store. Just some frozen turkey or whatever. So our mother, she was like, I'm on it. She called them before Labor Day found out what the process was. They said, call back on uh, the, uh, the day after Labor Day, place your order at that time. They told us like about what it would cost, um, what discount they would give us as a nonprofit, the whole nine, when we could pick it up, all of that. So order is placed, right? On time, feeling good. To me, that was the hardest part, like getting some quality birds, having those straight. Um, and especially because, you know, the sales and stuff is usually limits. So we got that part out of the way. Then it was just buying all the accoutrements, right? And and gift cards and all of that. Mm, nice LSAT. <laughs> so, um, again, to provide context. So this is happening. We were prepared to pick up the turkeys, pack the boxes, and deliver them all in the same day, right? So that was happening the Monday before Thanksgiving. Admittedly, I've been in a grief fog. Right. Like just doing my work and doing what I have to do, managing things around the house, which we'll talk about. Um, but thankfully, ram in the bush. Our mother was handling some details uh, and a great family friend who's basically like an adopted mom to us. Shout out to Mrs. Nina Norman really stepped up and was doing uh, a lot of the shopping and kind of getting all the details together. So and look, let me let me shoot you some bail here. This is much simpler and way less complicated than the last than the last drop. Going making complete meals is different from getting school supplies, toilets, all these things that there's limits and caps on what you can order. It's much easier. The main thing was just getting the birds, and right? The rice and collard greens and yeah, that's that's the layup. You can go anywhere and get that. Right. Versus, you know, gloves and diaper, all these things that have because of the pandemic circumstances have caps on how much you can order. But continue. Right. I just want to shoot you some bail. Appreciate that. Cause I was like, I'm so happy we didn't have to organize in the way with the limits and everything and canceled orders and families of different sizes and different ages. So we were doing stuff that was age appropriate and family size appropriate for the back to school drive. This was just like 10 families. They're each getting the same thing done and done. So, you know, I felt good about the fact that like I hadn't been really project managing in the way that I normally would and 
kind of being ahead of the game on a lot of things. So we got the 10 families from Aslan Youth Ministries again, bought some boxes. Like that was really it. And it was like, okay, some of the food is here already. We got to pick up the, the, the birds. And then there's some other, some rice and collard greens and things we had to pick up day up. So rent this minivan, right? Like making the good time. We're on schedule. We had given these families a time window. Get to the turkey place. I stay in the car, right? <laughs> I stay in the minivan because I'm so sleep deprived because I hadn't been sleeping well that I was already tired before we started. <laughs> Actually, just just tired from like going to the grocery store, getting 10 of a few other things that we needed and packing the boxes and all that other stuff. I'm done. So I'm looking out of my rear view mirror and I realize there's a whole lot of talking going on and no turkeys being gathered. And you're out there with mom. Right. Yeah, I was out there, you know, documenting, taking pictures. My mom is trying to give her name and they're saying they don't have it. They don't have it. For turkeys. So I see you and mom coming back to the van empty handed. And I'm like, here we go. So you guys get in the car and you're like, they don't have the order. And I'm like, what? Like, not only did we call to make called in advance, made the order. The bear call back. Call back to confirm. And mom had called them to confirm the time we could actually pick them up on that Monday. So I'm just like, but at this point, like there's always, every time we've done this, it's just Murphy's Law. Like something always goes off the rails. The first one, it was the backpacks being stuck on freight. Right. And wherever it was, Indiana or somewhere. Um, the, the back to school drive this year was lost orders, canceled orders, all of that stuff. Um, so it happens. But what set me off... <laughs> It's when the lady came over to the minivan with her little paperwork and said, who are you? Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) And y'all got to understand, Delisha ain't going to say this, but I'll say it. New Jersey is funny. Like, New Jersey is not a big place, but it's a funny place and a diverse place. And these counties... There's like every there's not that many counties in New Jersey, but literally each town is like a whole different world. So some of these towns ain't no black people. We were in Trump country. I have like, no doubt in my mind. Like like there was Trump signs out there. Like these people, some of these people have money. Some of them don't. But like the particular town that we in, there's no black people there. You drive like 15 minutes in a different direction. You get the black people. But New Jersey is very weird like that. Yes. So So you already you already kinda on edge when somebody like come at you like, hey, what is that? Like, yeah, what's your angle with this? What is the what is what is the attitude behind this tone? Exactly. And I don't know if our longtime listeners have picked this up about me. I'm a pretty friendly person. I don't snap off the rip. Um I consider myself affable if you want to use that word, right? Really big on trying to diffuse the situation and come to a solution. But I do not take kindly to somebody addressing me in that tone in any circumstance, but particularly when I'm patronizing an an establishment. So immediately my ears start to get hot. Okay, I felt my blood pressure going up and I'm feeling away. But I know that we have to get these turkeys. So I'm taking a bunch of deep breaths and I'm really not saying anything because I know that I engage this person who I'm sure voted for Trump. That is going to be something we're probably going to walk out of here with nothing. Right. So my mom like reiterates the facts. I don't know. I can't even remember. I might have said one or two things. So then finally, I'm like, well, look under my name. And my cell phone number. And lo and behold, they had my information. But whoever took the order, took it and and put it in the system 
as one turkey instead of 10. That's number one. Number two, we were told that they would give us 10 turkeys that were between 10 and 12 pounds. We learned from Trump supporter lady that A, the person who took the order should have never even taken it because they don't even provide. I don't know if they don't provide the fresh turkeys in bulk like that or they don't provide them at 10 to 12 pounds. It was something about the, the turkeys were eating a lot this year. They were gluttonous and all the turkeys were bigger. I don't know. But long story short, the order was wrong. So... Of course, that sets me off because we had called, you know, four times or something or whatever. But I'm taking a lot of deep breaths. So long story short, what ends up happening? The woman calmed down after her rude and disrespectful uh, entry into the conversation and was like, we're going to work it out. We'll find something for you. So finding something for us meant that we had to drive from the retail location to the actual farm itself uh, for these turkeys, which were frozen as opposed to fresh. Um, But thankfully, we were delivering on Monday for Thursday Thanksgiving meal. So people had a few days to defrost it. Um, And then they ended up having to give us 18 to 20 pound turkeys at the price of a 10 to 20 pounder. So in the end, it all worked. So in the end, it all worked out. Put us behind schedule by a lot. And so you were like frantically texting families, <laughs> trying to make sure they were right. going to be home. Shout out to Mango Lady. I mean, she made it right. She's a little <laughs> bit rude on the front end, but I ain't going to front. You know, she made it right. And that's the thing about Jersey, man. Like people in New Jersey might be a little, you know, that diet racist or whatever. Like Racist light. Racist light. But from my experiences with people, at least the blue collar people in New Jersey, when they mess up, and they realize it's on them, they make it right. Right. So I, I give credit where credit's due. It's not like people be here. It's not like Alabama. Like people just be like going off like, tough break, Negro. Right. Like they realize that they messed up and she made it right. I still didn't like how she went about it, but they made the situation right by giving, you know, 18 to 20 pound turkeys for 10 to 12 pound prices. Right. And Can't I get mad at it. I did thank her for resolving it. And we drove ourselves over. To, through Magdalene, because it was definitely mad Trump <laughs> flags and yard signs and all of that. Thin blue line, all of that. All of it. And we like pulled up and like had to pull around to some weird barn freezer looking place. Right. But they were boxed up nice and whatever. So it was cool. Um, so we we did it. We made, you know, we made the drops and we were able to uh give the families um once again, gift cards on top of like the non-perishables we we gave them. So we gave folks, you know, the staples for for us. Oh, it was green. It, it was beans, exactly greens, the, potatoes. <laughs> it was exactly what the video said. It was greens, yams, everything. It was it was a whole meal. It wasn't just a turkey. Yes. Um, and the looks on some of those families' faces was great. It was kids dancing on. Oh yeah, the kids were getting it for us. They were dancing all in the doorway. Um. And we we gave gift cards again uh, for families to get those uh, things that, you know, like eggs and cheese and stuff like that, that you need to make a complete, well, for us, a complete Thanksgiving meal. Not for everybody, but for us. Um, So, you know, even though I, we both were tired and our mom was tired as well. And if if you look at them pictures, (laughs) you can see it all in the faces. First of all, I don't think you cracked a smile in any of the photos. And I only did, did you not crack a smile. Like you actually look angry. <laughs> I was tired. Like I, I can't remember exact because all the days blend together. But I know I was tired, and I know I was working. I had been working on something before that. As usual, it was like a mad dash. It was just like 
I'm we're working on other things, but it was like, oh yeah, we got to deliver these turkeys and these dinners. Your face was and, like, my name is Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> and the sun was in my eyes, and we was you know dealing with these mag. It was a lot, country folks. It was a lot. Um. So, but in the end, like again, the joy just to bring a bit of a reprieve to these families in what is a, an economically crushing year for folks, not even to, let alone what people go through financially in these communities on a regular basis, but um, things have been made even more difficult by uh, where we are as a country right now. So it it made it all worth it for sure. And I will say, even with the challenges, it was much easier and much better than... Um, than August, that's for it sure. It was still 10 times easier because you could just grab whatever box and it wasn't like we had to load it a specific way. It was a variance depending on how many people was in their family. It was like, oh no, it's just everybody's getting the same thing. Right, exactly. So I felt I felt good about it for sure. Um, and I'm excited about what we are trying to do next as well. We went, you know, we we went back and forth about Christmas and I still think we might kind of help not do a formalized campaign because it's a bit late. Um, but we are definitely thinking about just impromptu kind of informal way of supporting families over the holidays as well, because y'all keep giving, which we appreciate. Um, so, but one of the things, you know, if, if you know anything about our mission, economic support in need uh, of families in need is just one pillar of three. You know, we have youth enrichment as well. And we have young adult job readiness. Young adult job readiness is, has been lower uh, in terms of when it's going to happen. That's a, sort of a long-term goal, but the youth enrichment piece is important to us, which is why we co-sponsored um, a STEM camp last year leading up to our uh, back to school bash. And we're also uh, considering sponsoring a virtual STEM uh, program as well for Q1. So we're working on that uh, and, you know, just continuing to try to give back and, and enrich the lives of others as best we can. So I'm excited about that. The best is yet to come. <laughs> you and these random gospel song outbreaks that you have. Uh, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 excited about that. It's crazy to me that we've hit episode 150 on the show and we're continuing to press forward. Our year completely got upended. We had a, a whole different plan for uh 2020 in terms of what we wanted to do for the show. But um some exciting news. In terms of like, like we ain't going nowhere. Let me just say that, first of all. Um, but we're actually building a proper podcasting and editing space. Hey, got Quad Studios downstairs. We're working on it. Um, can I just say, like, everybody warned me that living through renovations was, like, going to be difficult. Yeah, this is... <laughs> hey, listen, man. If y'all can see how dusty this mixer is right now. <laughs> you know, it... And I think I talked about this previously when we did the episode where I talked about buying a house and all of that. But the plan at the time was to have renovations done or at least close to done before I even moved in. But Rona just changed all of that because construction was suspended and it was like, OK, you're either going to move and just live through it or you're going to be paying for two households for uh, an indefinite amount of time. And I was not with that program. So not only living through renovations, but actually having to work in the same space that renovations are happening. Um, yeah, it's been rough. And as you know, I don't really do well with chaos and disorganization. And speaking of pillars, though, that seemed like two pillars of contractors, chaos and disorganization. Chaos and disorganization. Um, so it has been 
Yeah. And it's been a journey uh, on all parts. Um, just because contractors are contractors. They're going to tell you one thing, but they're going to do what they want to do. Um, and I ain't going to lie to y'all. A few times I done had to pull these contractors off to the side. <laughs> some of these, some of these uh, conversations were requested by Delisha. Some of them was just, uh, I used my own brother intuition. Like, look, what's really going on? It's crazy. <laughs> and they know that like you're beholden to them. Like, if your house is half done, what are you going to do? What you going to do? Fire them and wait for somebody else just to do the same thing all over again? Oh, literally, I, I told Delisha, it's like getting a haircut. You can't fire your barber in the middle of the haircut. Like, and have some Somebody try to step in and fix it. You can, but it's going to be complicated. It's the same thing with work. Every contractor has his their own way about going about things and doing things. Because we've seen it. Contractors, different people come in here on different days and they look like, why is this person doing this like this? I would have ran this wire like this and through here. See, what you got to do is you got to go to the box in the basement, run it up through the floorboard. Like they all have their own way about going about things, their own style, their own idiosyncrasies. And it's just, but you just have to deal with it because you're beholden to them. Exactly. So I don't feel, and I fully acknowledge this is a first world problem, okay? Um, but I just don't feel settled. I, the, the level of disruption in terms of like my work and everything else we have going on, <laughs> it's just too much. Imagine just being asleep and just hearing a pack of wild Jamaicans <laughs> in your room, like, and Did the, the, you have to say a pack of wild Jamaicans like they're <laughs> hyenas or something? <laughs> like, it was just for humor. It was levity. <laughs> I, and I can make those jokes being part partly Jamaican. But um, it's just different people being in the house and then the, the noise reverberating through the house. Because <laughs> it, it definitely happened to me. Because uh, they, since they had removed the the chimney and some of the other things. It's like, noise travels in this house. So these guys are working in a basement and you just hear all these arguments coming through the floor. It's literally like I'm trying to negotiate contracts and I'm like, yeah, that limitation of liability, non-negotiable. Blackston! Hey, boss man. Like, it's like, what is that? (laughs) Literally, that's what happens. And no matter how many times I say, like... I have a professional job. I'm upstairs on video calls. They don't care. Like, they literally just don't (laughs) care. Like, I've said, you cannot cut the power Uh, between noon and 2 p.m. because I'm on a call. Okay, no problem. No problem. Clip. (laughs) Literally 10 minutes later. I shouldn't call them wild. They're unruly because they don't listen. They don't listen at (laughs) all. They don't listen. I thought y'all was just on lunch break. (laughs) Lionel. (laughs) So it's been stressful. Um, It wouldn't be that way if... I was working in an office and they were just doing whatever all day. But also, too, like, because I'm here, that, you know, the head contractor is different when you're not in the building while they work and they have to call you or wait for you to come home. But because they know that I'm on the premises, it's like constant interruption. Like, trying like to talk this? to me you about this. Yes. You want this here? Like, <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, so that's been affecting my productivity as, as well. But very excited about this podcast suite that's happening. Sound Soundproofing is here. Did not know how expensive soundproofing materials were until a few weeks ago. That hurt, but it's worth it. Um, So I said all that to say, we said all that to say, we're not going anywhere. We're actually going to be ramping up in 2020 and creating the space to do that. And, you know, we like kind of being a run and gun show and we like the fact that it's a bit rugged, but I'm also looking forward to having a dedicated space for what we do and being able to lease that out to other people and do more micro content like we've been talking and filming more and all that other stuff. So it's coming. 
It's coming along. So we got new equipment, got them new cameras, got that 6K though. Yeah, you've been going crazy with the the purchasing of equipment. Come on now, gotta invest in a brand. I wanna be the master P of podcasting. You like gotta Spike invest. Lee out here. You gotta invest in yourself. Any listeners, if you got any uh discounts, <laughs> hit your boy, man. Hit that inbox. Send me a DM, you know what I'm saying, with those codes. Cause uh this equipment is not cheap. Oh man, it's it adds up. It adds up. For sure. But it's necessary. Um, it's a it's a worthy investment. And let me just say to people who are thinking about pursuing their passion and they have a day job, it is not easy at all. But there is a benefit because as you invest in something, even if that something is not making a dime for you, you can write off those investments that you made into the project. So uh, equipment, home office stuff, all of that. So if you like kind of waffling about whether you want to jump out the window and do it, get those tax write-offs. Even if it's, you don't plan to to profit off it for a couple of years, it's actually in your best interest to go ahead and make that happen. So pro tip, go ahead and do that for sure. Cause the show has helped us uh, in that way. We don't do it for that, obviously, but um, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta think like those who are capitalizing uh, financially as well out in the markets. So and honestly, I truly believe when you put that good energy out, you get it back in some way mm-hmm. or another. And even if you you put the money out and you invest your time and you connect with people, you just build the relationships. The audience might not be all the way there, but the relationships are there. And it's a very intelligent and easy way to connect with people genuinely um, and build relationships that may be fruitful. It's happened for me. Right. Absolutely. In all aspects of my life off of this show right here. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead to 2020, who are you? Oh, 2021. See, I'm just stuck, right? Looking ahead to 2021. <laughs> yo, yo, she's like, it's Y2K. <laughs> Literally, December. it's like a broken record. Every day is the same. Um, But looking ahead to 2021, who are your dream guests for the show? 2021, dream guests for the show. Still want to talk to Tristan Walker. At this point, I want to know why he sold. I want to know what changed. Cause he the narrative about, for the episode has changed, but yeah, yes. he was Because, you know, he was talking about he was going to build a black proctor and gamble that he sold. So, I, you know, I just want to know what, uh, what changed the brother's mind. He might know something that we don't know. Or, you know, he might his feelings might have changed. He might have got into his business. And those who don't know, Tristan Walker uh, created the Bevel Blade and the Bevel line of products. But he might have seen some things or felt pressure from the people who he raised money from to like sell. They didn't see the vision of him building a lot. It could have been a lot of things, but I like he's still like up there on my list to speak to. Um, yeah, I, that, that's the only person that's coming to me off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure there's uh, oh Idris Sandu. Uh, it's a, he's a um, so West Africa. I think he's Ghanaian, um, but he's a self-taught programmer. He's worked with Uber. He's worked with IG, all these different platforms. He's very young or whatever. He actually turned down a um, a scholarship to like MIT or whatever. And he's just like doing his own thing, creating. Um, but very interesting guy. Very interesting path to where he is right now. And I think he's going to make major waves in the tech space because, again, he's like a young black coder and programmer who's actually in touch with the, the people. Um, he's not from... Some upper crust, like he grew up in like LA. So he's like, and he spent some time in his, uh, in Ghana or whatever. So he's very in, in touch with the average everyday person. So I would love to talk to him and have him be a guest. It's, you know, what his thoughts are about STEM and where we're going in the future. How about you? I mean, I think I have a few. I won't get into all of them here. Um, 
but you might find, I don't even think I've mentioned um, a couple of these to you, but one that I have mentioned, you know, before COVID, we were all about the on location thing. We were going to Atlanta, wanted to go to LA. Um, I think, you know, what's high on my list, which we Mm -hmm. talked about. I really want to do a multi-part, almost like a docu-series episode on the Clark sisters. That would be dope. I want to go to Detroit and really, I mean, they, they obviously gained a level of notoriety, um, over the course of this year because of the Lifetime movie, which we talked about. But I feel like there's so much more to their story and the underbelly of like them being artists that essentially crossed over. Um, But the underbelly of not only the industry, but the church, specifically Kojic, that was not touched on. I would love to get into that. So that's high on my list. Um, I think Arlen Hamilton is high on my list, founder of Backstage Capital as well, because her story is insane about how she got into the space and she's been making waves as well. You know who I realized recently is on my list as well? Hammer. MC Hammer? MC Hammer. Right, because, you know, Hammer's still out here getting money. Hammer is getting it. And I think people don't really realize how deep into, like, the VC space he is and the startup space and all that other stuff. But, like... um, if you do a simple internet search, you'll see that like he's been enmeshed in the startup world and he's been trying to put other rappers on to how to invest their money. So, you know, we know all we all know the story of him reaching the height of success and having too many people on payroll and going bankrupt. But Hammer's out here doing it. So I, I actually would love to talk to him about his story as well. And there's like a dozen other people, but those are just three off the top of my head for sure. Yes, Chameleonaire is getting money in the startup space also. It's always interesting not to change the conversation, but it's always interesting to see those types are uh, the former athletes, entertainers who like understood what it was like. I got a finite amount of time to be in this or I have my time in this and I'm going to take this, take what I have left over. and I'm going to make this pivot into something else and I'm going to leverage my fame and my relationships to to build in this space. And it's always interesting because I feel like a lot of times we, with athletes and entertainers, it's like people so like streamlined and focused on one thing that that once that one thing that they've been focused on, whether it be music or sport acting is over, they just don't know what else to do. It's always interesting to see those people like, okay, this is over. All right. I got my grief. I'll go through my grieving phase or I'm done with it. And I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to transition over here and I'm use what relationships I have to thrive in that space. I'm always interested in hearing those people's stories because we always hear the other stories like people just falling off, never to be heard from again. And I feel like if you have, I'm a firm believer that if you have the talent, uh, the charisma, the je ne sais quoi, whatever you want to call it, to reach the peak of success in one area, that energy is transferable. Like if if you're willing to focus and really figure out, okay, that chapter of my life is over, but how do I tap into the next chapter? I believe all of that can be transferred over to something else. But a lot of people are not able to do it right at all. So I'm I'm impressed when people can pivot from one thing that's no longer serving them or if that brook is dried up and moving on to something else. Talk to them. You know, so uh so yeah, hammers on my list, man, for sure. And a lot of other people which I won't get into here. Um and we we know that Diddy stays on the list for sure. We haven't shouted him out on the show in a while, but you know we make many Diddy references on the December 26th podcast. So Can't stop, won't uh, stop. he's for he's forever on the on the <laughs> the list. Even though I do want to ask him um about his track record of putting people on and they blow up and then just fade into oblivion after that. <laughs> you know, the thing that I realized that I had to put in perspective with Diddy is he's only one man, right? There's a finite amount of artists 
that he can put on. Most labels put people on, and most artists fade into oblivion, but Diddy catches the worst rap out of everything. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about Clive Davis and the amount of artists <laughs> that faded into oblivion or Leor Cohen, all these other people. But it's like Diddy is like, he's doing something wrong. When I really think, you know, what Diddy was doing, to quote the late Combat Jack, was just basically the order of the day for record execs. But that's a whole nother conversation. Right. For sure. Uh, so, yeah. Diddy he, Dirty Money. He remains on the on the list for sure. Daddy came. <laughs> <laughs> like, should we go down the list? O Day 26. <laughs> I mean, Shine, there were other reasons for that, but uh, we could go on and on. But anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. We have a lot of plans, which we've pushed from this year uh, with regard to, I don't know when live events are coming back, with regard to micro content and all of that. Um, I got to say, I don't know how it's all going to work because we barely have time as it is. Uh, so I don't know how we add all this additional content, but I know that it's necessary. Right. For sure. I mean, the people, <laughs> the people want to know what's going on behind the scenes. They want to hear from us more. more our, some of our highest rated episodes in terms of the number of listens are from us just talking, um, which is always fascinating to me. Because I'm like, who are these people that are tuning in just to listen to us banter uh, back and forth? Um, but yeah, I won't even say like I'm looking forward to seeing 2020 go because I don't I don't think some major shift is going to happen miraculously on January 1st. We're still going to be at home, <laughs> you know, still trying to get over this whole um, pandemic. So I don't feel that way, but I'm looking forward to the next season whenever that starts. For sure. For sure. Uh, anything else you want to say to the people? No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just going to wish you all happy holidays. Happy holidays, yes, because you probably won't hear from the two of us uh, in another episode before uh, Christmas and Hanukkah already started with Kwanzaa and all that happened. So happy holidays. Cherish the people who are around you, even if it's a little bit different this year and you've got to celebrate with them virtually over Zoom or Google Meet or FaceTime. Cherish your loved ones. I know we've said that a lot this year, um, but the gravity of that just becomes more and more real to me, it seems, as the year has progressed. So um, cherish those people, tell you love them, call them and wish them a Merry Christmas uh, instead of a text maybe this year and, and keep those connections going, even if it might be virtual. We love you. Thanks for rocking with us this year, supporting the show, supporting the host of fun. Um, everyone who has commented, liked, shared all that great stuff. We appreciate you. If you haven't done it, but you're an avid listener of this show, tell somebody. Don't keep it to yourself. I know we like that exclusive stuff, but we need you all to let people know. Turn to your neighbor, say, neighbor, listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, so with that, and also as we start to build our roster for 2021, if you have an idea for a guest, we do have listeners who drop us a DM and say, hey, you need to talk to this person. And we follow up on every single referral. So if you know somebody, you're familiar with the format of our show and you know somebody who might be a good fit, reach out to us at December 26th or December 26ER on IG and just let us know and, and we will follow up. So tell somebody about it. Continue to support us. Continue to ride with us. We appreciate it. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.